0: Good morning. Good it's morning. actually a little better than usual. I like it. Um, hope everyone's doing well. Um, it's always an honor to stand before you. We have a really unique thing here at Trinity Church that we co-teach a lot. Um, uh, my name is Timothy. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church, but we also get to hear uh, pretty frequently from our other pastor, which is Jamin. Uh, and I love um, the way we come about it because we don't a lot of churches, you'll hear from different people, but, like, the really important stuff, you're going to hear from one guy, and then the, like, uh, the other and not important stuff may be the other guy. And that's just not how we do it here. We very much say, like, here's the schedule. Let's just divide it up, see where our schedules lie, and what, what we can best uh, facilitate the teaching here. Um, so, depending on just who comes up here is, is really just the only parameter of where, where, who you're going to hear from. Um, and Jamin did a really good job last week of just walking us through the, last, the, the lost sheet. He's done a really good job of kind of uh, spearheading um, our series that we're currently in, uh, which is uh, the parables, the teachings of Christ. We've worked uh, eight weeks. This will be our ninth. And next Sunday will be our tenth. Jamin's going to close us out and kind of tie every single parable we've taught together with one linear thing. So I'm really proud to hear whatever he comes up with. Um, that was a joke. That was a pastor joke. Nothing. It's impossible to do that. You just can't do that. But, okay, tough for him. We'll move on. Um, so, uh, But the reason we, we, decided, we decided to like, push pause from a book of the Bible, a singular book of the Bible, and kind of just fan out and, and cover eight teachings of Christ, parables that, that Christ taught in his earthly ministry, was a, just a, a realization and almost like a burden on the, the, the leadership of Trinity Church that we need to always be about truth. And, and Christ did an amazing job on his three-year ministry of just proclaiming truth, teaching truth. Everything he did was, was, was really a story of redemption, a story of, of teaching uh, God's grace and, and the gospel of Christ. And all of those things really played out in each and every story um, that we have covered. Uh, we're going to continue today in his teaching of the, the prodigal son. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and we'll, we'll get there in a little bit, we'll read it out loud. Um, but there, like I said, there's this burden on us as the leadership of Trinity Church that, that we fill the room with truth, and we fill your life with truth. We don't want to be a church that just says they're about the Bible. Every church, uh, every, every Christian church, every Protestant church in America, if you had them fill out a, a bubble sheet or a, or a true-false and said, are you about the Holy Word of God, they would all say yes, yes. But so many times we see in our culture and in our time that that might not be reflected in their teaching, or that may not be reflected in how they live life, how they do life, how they engage in ministry, how they engage in the culture around them. But we at Trinity Church always want to double down on like We are a church about the Holy Word of God. And we're going to prove that to you because that's what we're going to study. it. We're going to, we're going to dive into it. We're going to pull the marrow out of it, and we're going to fill with truth. Because that's what's going to try transform this church is the truth of the gospel of Christ. That's what's going to transform the city. That's what's going to transform the nation. And as, as, as things heat up and we live in a time of, of breaking news and social media and, and anything for a click and retweets and likes and friends and all that stuff, it's so easy to spew out stuff that just sounds like the truth but's not. On any given day, if you turn on the TV or you you follow social media, there may be a professing Christian doing more damage to the cause of Christ than an atheist just on what he believes to be true. And there are a lot of people who say a lot of stupid things. Um, thinking they're talking about the truth or thinking they're trying to do the right thing. But here at Trinity Church, we want the truth to spring out from the Word of God. We want no one in this room or, or in this church or in our ministries to wonder what we're about. And that's why we dive in. That's why we will continue to dive in. We will, uh, we will end. This is our last parable. We're going to hit the parable of the prodigal son today. And then, like I said, Jamin's going to tie it all together next Sunday. And then after that, we're going to dive into the book of Hebrews. And I don't know, a lot of y'all can be really excited, a lot of y'all, like, Hebrews is great, it's romantically written, it's beautiful, it's, it's, it's coffee cup after coffee cup after coffee, coffee cup verse of just beautiful theology. But as your teaching staff, we walk into it with trepidation and, and reverence of, like, this will be the deepest book we've ever dove into. This will be the deepest thing we've ever moved through as a congregation. It will take time. It will take patience. It will take endurance. It will take biblical endurance to dive into Hebrews, to stay there, to wade through the scriptures that are going to pour onto our hearts, and then for us to apply them daily using the spirit and the power of Christ. Those are beautiful things, but it's things I want you to be in mind in, in prayer about. It's things I want uh, to be on the forefront of your mind when you say, we're coming today to learn about Hebrews. We're coming today to dive into scriptures because we're a church where the Bible drives us. It's our foundation. It's everything that we are about. So like the last few weeks, we, we've kind of closed out with some some parables about uh, selling everything and, and the lost sheep and, and how the lost sheep and how... Uh, how, frankly, last week, one of the things that, that probably uh, stuck with me the most is how Jamin brought about, like, hey, you got to leave the 99 to find the lost. That's the kind of love that our Father shows us. And as I'm a, practi- I'm a, I'm a practical guy, I'm a, I'm a pragmatist, uh, I'm a realist, um, uh, if I had 99 of something and lost one thing, I wouldn't go after that one thing because it's just not logical. It doesn't make a lot of sense to say, I'm going to forsake this to go find this one thing, Just so a fraction, a portion of what is mine. And I think Jamin did a great job of honing in. That's the kind of love our father shows. We're going to do a continuation of that love, a continuation of of that story and that idea today in the prodigal son. We're going to see a rebellious young son uh, leave everything he's ever known for the ways of the world. We're going to see that son fall flat on his face. And we're going to see a loving and forgiving father meet him where he is and call him son. If you would, you can stay seated. This is going to be a pretty long passage, especially from what we're used to reading out loud, but I think it's really important that we hear uh, the context and the culture and totality of this story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. I'm going to read them out loud. Uh, They're also going to be on the screen behind me, and there's also a Bible next to you. If you don't have a Bible, that's yours, and you can use it today. Again, this is a lot of reading, so please show grace. This is not where I shine. Some of you are already giggling. You're making fun of someone with dyslexia. I hope you feel good about yourself. (laughs) And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, "To these things, What do these things mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, the, look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a goat that my friends and me may celebrate. But when this son of yours came, you have devoured your property with prostitutes. You, who killed, the, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you, everything I have is yours. But it is fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and now alive and was lost and now is found. Amen. Let me pray over us and we're going to dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. I pray that we build upon it. I pray that the biblical truth of the gospel of Christ is the foundation of this church that will never falter. God, I pray that everything we do, we do in in accordance to your will, in accordance to your word, in accordance to your glory, that we may learn, that we may apply, that we may walk, lock, and step with the Spirit of God, so we may call you Father, and your will be known. God, I pray for the next few minutes that we pour into your scripture, we pour into your truths, and that anything that we would find as a hindrance, or a distraction, or an obstacle, that the Spirit would rip that out, that we may solely focus on your word, your will, your glory, for your ways. I pray everything in your name. Amen. All right, so um, full disclosure, the prodigal son is a complicated thing to teach because there's a lot of things going on. I want to dive in uh, to the scripture. I want us to pour out. Um, um, so, some beautiful theological foundations and then, and then we're going to camp out in them. So we're going to go right through uh, the story as we found it because I want you to understand the contextual importance of, of some of the things that played out in the story and then we're going to dive into some of the biblical truths. So what we see here is we see a son, um, a young son, uh, ask his father for his inheritance, which is a little weird in our culture and context, but it was a complete devastation and, and, and depravity in the culture of which the story is written. The fact that one, you Asked ask for your father for your portion of inheritance before he died is almost wishing ill on him. You're saying, "Hey, I don't want to wait till you die. I want what's mine now." And not only did he do this, he was the younger son, so he really he wasn't even in in, in uh, he wasn't even guaranteed or had any right to half of his inheritance. He really, because of the cultures and customs of that time, he got one third of what the older brother had. So the the father, being uh, gracious and complying, gave him one third. Um, The story then reads on that he kind of gathered his goods, which is uh, 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 an abbreviation of he just cashed them out, right? So your inheritance may have been land. It may have been objects. It may have been gold. Uh, It probably wasn't a monetary uh, value or or a currency. It was just stuff that held a, a value. So he had to gather that in. He had to make that portable. He had to sell land, sell items. He had to get stuff where he could go from the land he was at to the land he wanted to be. So then he went to a faraway country. And and very quickly the scripture turns to he squandered with reckless living. We'll later find out that his, his brother uh, accuses him of squandering everything with prostitutes. But we can, we can agree that reckless living in this context, or, or the description of reckless living, is, is a partying, a, 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 a wealth of, of, of dining and eating, living amongst your means, to the point where he lived recklessly. He, he, he lived the life of the world. He conformed his life, his desires, to the ways of the world and quickly ran out of money. So parallel to him running out of money, the, the country that he was in had a famine. Where things got tough and, and all of his friends deserted him. All the, the party people that he had surrounded himself with went away. And he found himself in need to the point where he had nothing. He didn't have a roof over his head. He didn't have a dollar to his name. He couldn't even feed himself. So he went to a citizen of this country and, and uh, pretty much became an indentured servant. He, he became uh, a, 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 a day worker. And the only job that he could find at this time in the country because of the famine was feeding the pigs. So feeding the pigs, even in today, there's not a huge cultural shift Uh, Feeding pigs was really, really bad then, and it's really, really bad now. No one wants to be just feeding pigs and laying with them and eating what they eat. Nobody wants to do that. But specifically to have a man of Jewish descent, a man inside the understandings of Mosaic Law, the only job he could find was to feed the most unclean of the unclean animals. So that means this person, every time he went to feed, every time he went to try to get the scraps from the pig, he became ceremonially unclean. It's an indication of sin. Right, that's where we find ourselves a lot in life, that everything that we cling to in the world, everything that is our last resort, everything that we think um, that is, is the easy. only way for us to provide for ourselves is making us unclean and unclean and unclean. This means every day he woke up, he was ceremonially unclean. Every night he went to sleep, he was ceremonially unclean. And there was no hope out of this rhythm. He wasn't saving anything back. He wasn't putting anything back. There wasn't a light at the end of the tunnel. The famine was severe, and he was lost. He was lost in in the waves of the world. He was lost in the waves of sin, and he had had forsaken his family as he knew it. And then a really important phrase we see at the beginning of verse 17 where he says, He came to himself. He had a self-realization. He had a light bulb moment of saying, I'm at my darkest moment. I'm at the the bottom of the bottom. I don't even know if we can actually do justice to realize a person who came from a lot of wealth, got even more wealth, spent more wealth, and now is is just trying to fight for scraps with a pig. And now you're thinking, hey, this is as bad as it gets, and I don't have a plan out of this. I don't have any more money. There's no more inheritance. And the only purple people who actually love and care about me, I I, I chunk the deuce to. They're gone. They're my rearview mirror. Becomes his realization, that I don't want to go back as a son. Because I haven't earned that. I may never earn that. I have no right to be ever called my father's son again. But maybe I can be one of his servants. Maybe I can be one of his slaves. His slaves eat. His servants eat. I want to eat. He's just thinking about uh, primal nature of how to survive. I will go back to my father. I will tell them I have sinned against my heavenly father and then my earthly father. And say, please just take me back as a servant. So he goes home, and as he's coming back, and this is really hard for me, um, because I've taught the prodigal son a few times, and the prodigal son is a really well-known story, Um, even, I don't know where you came up and what your church DNA looks like, but the church that I went to was a a very traditional uh, Baptist church, and this was your go-to flannel graph uh, Sunday school. You know what I'm talking about? Blue flannel graph, and like you had the, you slap on the pigs. You slap on. I mean, this is I, I have taught this and been taught this at, at length, and but I have never taught this as a father till today. And you start reading some of this stuff, and I've joked before that my kids broke me. Right. Like, I'm not saying it was mentally healthy, but I can count on one time how many, I mean, I can count on one hand how many times I cried in like the first 27 years of my life. And I'm not like, yeah, yeah, no, I needed therapy. It was, we've already covered that. You've heard my story. Um, but since I've had kids, I cry like it would depending on what song's on the radio. Like, the right song can come on. I'm like, this is beautiful. Like, and I blame it all on Asher Thomas. So I'm studying this yesterday, uh, uh, and I put, like, the finishing touches on, on this, this section where he comes to this realization, and he, and he comes home. And I'm sitting at this quaint little local place in Mesquite, uh, in Panera, and I'm sitting there, and people are judging me because now there's tear stains on my Bible, and they're thinking, he must be hitting it. And I'm just thinking, like, the Father's waiting. You see, you, see the God, you see the son thinking, I'm going to bow my head and try to disgracefully sneak in and just say, just count me as one of the slaves, I'll go sleep in the slave's quarter.'" And we have a father looking on the horizon, waiting for his son to come back. And the father has every reason to say, you have, you have disgraced, just by asking me for your inheritance, you've disgraced our family. By taking the inheritance, you've disgraced our family. And you have nothing to show for it. You now have no inheritance for your family, or your family, or your family. This is a wealthy family. Your inheritance should have set up a generational wealth at this time. Culturally, the inheritance from this father should have said, I'm going to make everything right for your family. And you squandered it. There is no more. This father has every right to lock the door and shun him. And instead, we see a father waiting for the son to come home, runs and meet him. A a property owner, a a landowner, a family leader of this this statute at this time, culturally, would have never run. That's a disgrace to be in a hurry, uh, to show some kind of exigency. We don't do that. That's not couth. That's not how you operate. He runs to his son and hugs him. And before the you know, he's practiced, right? You do that when you mess up big time. You look yourself in the mirror and you practice your apology. That's biblical. You see that here, right? He says, okay, this is, I sinned against my heavenly father. I sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he, he like interrupts that I'm not worthy to be your son. And I can just, in my mind, there's an embrace. And there's an embrace. And he says, bring the robe. Bring the sandals. Bring the ring. The ring is a signet ring. The ring means your family again. The ring at this time would have had a family crest on it. And by putting that ring on his finger, he would have said, hey, we're good. We're family. And I'm only crying because I'm a father and my kids broke me. We're not even to the heavy stuff yet, so just give me some time. Like I said, whatever whatever lack of crying I did the first 27 years, I've made up under Trinity Church uh, ceilings. Um, But you see this beautiful, loving forgiveness that is completely unearthed. Completely, uh, completely countercultural. cultural it's, it's, it's supernatural. We see this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness doesn't even make sense. We can even see the best of fathers would have said, I'm really disappointed. You can work your way back into my good graces. There's the servant. That would have been a really acceptable answer. Honestly, that answer would have been countercultural. Cultural, you've shunned him. He's disgraced you. He brought dishonor to your name. He has nothing to do with you. So it would have been a beautiful thing. For his followers to say, get in, the, get in the quarters of the servants and we'll, we'll figure out some bread wages. But no, he says, here's the robe, here's the sandals, here's the ring. He kills the fattened calf. A fattened calf is exactly that. It was a calf that you fattened, that you, that you had on ready for their next celebration. Um, It was big deal to kill this it meant what you're celebrating garnered an audience it means what you're celebrating meant something to you and they celebrate he says you were once lost and now you're found you were dead and now you're alive and then you see the brother and I think the brother is me 10 times out of 10 like dude I stayed loyal I didn't disgrace the family I think it's weird that he just wanted a goat to party with his friends but that's just a little subsection of this story but he's like you didn't even give me a goat so many of my friends could party like every time I read that I'm like Okay, you do you, man. There's bigger things happening, and you're worried about a party with a goat. Um, But that's us, right? If we didn't rebel and we stayed faithful, then we're mad the person that rebelled got forgiveness. That's human nature. Because we want fairness. That's what this brother wants. He wants fairness. And the reality of the gospel is you don't want fairness. You better pray to everything you believe in. And all the the, the Spirit, the Father, and the Son of, of, like, no, you don't want fairness. So many times in our life we think, man... If I could just get what's owed me, that's what, this, that's what this brother is thinking. If I could just get what's owed to me, I deserve the fattened calf. And the reality is, and what scripture teaches us in the gospel is that like none of us deserve the fattened calf. None of us deserve the goat. We deserve to be shunned and be cast out of our family land. But instead, we have a father waiting with a ring, a robe, and some sandals. He was dead and now is alive, was lost and now found. So, like I said, it's a complicated story. Not that it's not beautiful and not that there's not uh, so many teaching points, but it's it's, it's a story uh, as a teacher that you can get lost in the weeds. You can try to cover everything. And there's so much that I wish we had a a, a month for the prodigal son. But we have 11 more minutes. So I want to talk about two parts. There's a lot of moving parts. We have a selfish son, a reckless living, yearning to come home, a faithful, forgiving father, a self-righteous son, and then again, a loving, forgiving father. But I want to camp out on two moments in this story that embody the gospel of Christ. We see a person at their lowest, at their depravity, at a darkness they've never known. And I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know uh, where you find yourself. But if you have found yourself at the trough with pigs, you know what he's going through. When you think it can't get lower than this, it can't get darker than this, I can't cry anymore, I hurt from crying, I hurt from yearning, I hurt from wanting more. I'm unclean, and I don't know how to become whole. That's where he found himself. And we see a, a, a phrase that says, he came to himself. A, a, a realization that he may be able to go home. He knew he could never go home with his head held high. He never could never go home showing him what he had done with his inheritance. He, never, he knew he could never go home in a scenario where he thought his father would be proud to see him, or even happy the I think, honestly, if you put yourself in this story, that there's a really big chance he thinks that I've, I've made this big plan for nothing. I'm getting shunned at the door. But that's really not the focal point of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is not solely him coming to himself. The beauty of the prodigal son and the beauty uh, of the gospel of Christ is the father's embrace. Because he could, have had, he could have come to himself. He could have had devised this beautiful thank you that he practiced and practiced. He could have come back groveling. And all of it would have been for nothing if his father said, Depart. Get to walking. You brought more shame on this family than I could have ever thought. Bye. So it's important that he came to himself. It's important that he realized he could go home. But all of that's for nothing unless you have the embrace of the Father. Unless you have a Father who's not only willing to take you back, but yearning to see you in the in the, in the, shows, the, the, the just the image of you. And it's a Father. I would like to think, no matter how much my son messes up, right? I want to impart this to Asher. I want to impart this to Nora. I want to impart this to Levi. That says, no matter what you've done, you can come home. There's consequences for what you do. There's consequences for your decisions, and I can do everything I want and be super dead, and, but I can't save you from the consequences of your decisions, but I can make sure you always know there's a place for you in the Roundtree home, that I will always be looking for you, I will always run to you, and I will always hug you. That's really one of my main goals as a father. And as I read this, I think, how do I impart on my children that they know no matter how bad it gets, I embrace them? Because what I'm doing is is walking in step with the Father. We have a good father. We have, we have the, the triune God that is our father. And he shows us beautiful forgiveness in the embrace of the prodigal son. And he doesn't just embrace and hold him there and say, you've messed up. We can kind of make it right. No, he embraces him. He gives him the ring and says, you're part of the family. He gives him the robe and says, all is forgiven. He he kills the fattened calf. He puts shoes on his feet and says, we're going to celebrate because I had one son and now I have two. You were lost and now you're found. And here's one of the things where Satan's going to come at you. Satan's going to get in your wheelhouse when you're at the trough and he's going to say, there's no way you can go home. What you've done cannot be, what you have done cannot be undone. What you have done cannot be forgiven. And that's the biggest lie Satan tells you is that what you've done, the person you are right now is so dark, so broken, so filled of sin, there will never be a father that hugs you and embraces you. And that is an absolute lie. The gospel of Christ is surrounded by the truth that there is a fattened calf that was killed and died for you. His blood atoned for you. Our God killed the fattened calf and it was Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. He hung on a cross so the father could embrace you because he can't do it apart. God can't embrace you unless there's a fattened calf willing to die. Blood ran in that house the day the sun came back. And blood has already ran for you. You have been atoned for. Now you have to be embraced. You have to come to yourself and say, I don't know where you find yourself. But the beautiful thing about the prodigal story is you are some portion in this story. There's a part for every one of us. You can be at the trough. You could be asking for your inheritance. You could be the self-righteous, angry son. But ultimately, you have to be in the embrace of a father. You have to find your way home. And I know there, there are demons in the life of the people in this church that are just fighting at them saying, Home's not an option. Home is always an option. You have a father who gave everything for you. You have a father that was willing to give his only son so you could come home. There is nothing that can be done that can surmount the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17, he says, Therefore, if, any of you, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, and all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciled to the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against himself, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What he is saying is you have been reconciled at the highest cost and he did it without hesitation because he's a father that's going to run and find you. We don't we do not worship, we do not praise A a cheerleader God. Christ came to this earth. He didn't just wait for us to call all the way home. No, we have a Savior that came to us. We have a Savior who who met us where we are. He's not waiting for you to become a better version of yourself. Even the best version of you is still a broken sinner in need of a Savior. We have a Savior who said, all can be forgiven if you come home. I pray that many of you are already home. I, I don't know all of you as well as I would like, and I don't know if all of you call Christ your Savior. But I promise you this: no matter what you've done in this life or past lives, it can be forgiven. I'm a beautiful version of that. Like you don't—I'm not a professional uh, uh, Christian who's just on all the time. I'm, I'm a dude who has has gone through trial and tribulation, tears and brokenness, tears and brokenness, and and found himself on the other side uh, in the embrace of a father um, because of the beautiful, beautiful truth of what we're talking about. Because of the truth of the gospel of Christ, I know that the depravities that I once lived in have been forgiven. I don't have to keep asking for forgiveness. That's what Satan wants me to believe. Satan wants me to think that no matter what I do from this point on, I will never be viewed by anything other than what I've done in my past. And that is a lie. You are a new creation. That means the old you washed away. You know what washed away? The blood of Christ. The prodigal son is a beautiful reminder of the full cycle of life. And you may not be at the trough. You may be seconds away from asking your father for their inheritance. And I want to warn you against that because it, it's not worth it. The only thing we ever need in this life is the embrace of a father. Someone who is willing to kill the fattened calf. Someone who is willing to forgive for the sake of family. And like I thought, said, while I was going over the story, the only thing that kept playing in my mind and playing in my mind and playing in my mind is, is my life right now as a father. That is, uh, I, I, I have the honor to be able to do a lot of things. I, I, get, to, I get to be y'all's pastor. I get to be uh, a detective. I get to be a lot of things to a lot of people, but none of them are as vital to me right now in this season of life, other than being the husband of Joe and the father to my kids. And I look through this story and say, can, can I walk in the likeness of Christ? That's what we're called to do. We're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect, but we're going to die trying. We're going to die trying to walk in the realness of Christ. And I kept thinking last night, and uh, I don't know, Jamin probably knows what I'm talking about, but no pastor sleeps well on Saturday night. It doesn't happen. Uh, It happens even less if you have a son who likes to lay with you four to five times during the night. And it was a constant reminder, and it was, it was a little gut check of like, I'm trying to cry and pray over you, and you won't shut up and go to sleep. Um, And then you're like, wait a minute, you're getting this backwards. I think you're supposed to embrace it. Um... And this is a reminder of, like, if if I fail on every account other than just pointing my son to Christ and knowing him he, he can come home, then I've succeeded. If I'm the worst pastor or the, the worst detective, but I've pointed my wife and my family to Christ, and my wife and my family know that they are loved in the embrace of Christ, then... That's it. That's, that's all I'm okay with. I'm okay with being known as the guy that was really marginal at everything else, but pointed Asher, Noah, and Levi to the cause of Christ so they know they can come home. But that starts with me. There's no scenario where my, my 11-year-old or my 12-year-old is going to understand the cosmic theology of a, of a father who pines and waits for you to come home and hug you. If I'm not willing to wait and hug you, if I rule out of fear or I rule out of intimidation or I rule out of anything other than love, to show that, hey, whatever you've done, you have a seat at the table. And it, it's an indictment on where we are today. Like, Where do you find yourself inside the, the gospel of Christ? Do you, do you understand it? Can you apply it? And are you living it? I pray as I end today that we're really honest with where we're at inside the prodigal son. Because there's, 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 a, there's a role and a character for all of us. I pray wherever you find yourself inside the prodigal son, that you move and yearn to get to the spot we want to be, which is inside the embrace of a father. Let me pray over us. We have a few more. We have another song we're going to sing before we dismiss. Um, I want to always thank y'all for for being here. God, thank you for today. Thank you for being the father that meets us where we are. The father that sees us running home, prepared to be shunned, but but realization of the embrace of a forgiving father. Your your forgiveness and your love defies logic. Your, Your forgiveness and love defies everything we know that this world says, but we know you're not of this world. You came to conquer. You came to fulfill. God, I pray wherever we're at, we seek you. Wherever we're at, we find you. And that if we were lost, we would now be found. I pray all things in your name. Amen.